right, everyone, welcome back to the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. Let's have a little low in as we get into this. Yeah, that's nice. I don't even know why, why are we fading out? Let's keep it going. I mean, that sounds better than anything I'm going to do today. You know, when you hit a nice bass groove, it's beautiful. Let's just keep it there for a second. Can you guys dig it? I got to get you in the right frame of mind to hear this podcast episode because it's, it's a good one, man. Here we go. Come on. Enough of that. We got to get some work done here. Um, welcome back to this uh, particular episode. It's kind of an in-between episode, as we say sometimes, and I'm glad to have you with me. There are, I just happened to check the other day, I try not to pay too much attention to the analytics because, you know, sometimes that can be disappointing. But I noticed that we're, we're pushing towards 10,000 listens, maybe by the time you listen It'll be 10. Maybe, who knows? By the time you're listening, it'll be 20. I don't know. Either way, thank you very much for uh, participating in all of that. And if you have benefited from any of this or from any of the work that I've done, you uh, certainly want to join me uh, at my website on my newsletter, jonathanfosteronline.com. And you definitely, how could I not encourage you to participate on Patreon if you just look for Patreon forward slash dot com Jonathan underscore Foster. Did I say that right? I don't know. If you get on Patreon and you search for Jonathan underscore Foster, you're going to find me there as well. And I would be remiss if I didn't invite you to do that. However, today, as important as all that stuff has been, today is all about the announcement that tomorrow is uh, the start of a brand new book that we're birthing into the world called The Reconstructionist. And so this episode is about the launch of that book, give you a little background as to how that thing came about and about the special promo that we're doing just this week during launch week for that book. So let's start with the with the special promo because I know you folks, I know you're like, tell me all about the promo. You can get to the, the gist of this, the essence of this later, but I need to know about the promo. So here it is. The first 100 folks who purchase The Reconstructionist and hopefully leave a review because that's really important. And then you email me at Jonathan underscore Foster at gmail.com and let me know that you did that. I will mail you another book for free. That's right. And the second book is called Mimetic Cartoonery, and it contains 50 of the most popular of my drawings or manipulations or illustrations, whatever we call these things, because honestly, I really don't draw all that well. So that's right. A second book for free when you buy the first book and hopefully leave a review. There's no postage you got to pay for. There's no strings attached. Just 50 of my most popular illustrations. And when I say my most popular, I'm not kidding. I can guarantee you that they're 50 of my most popular because I only have 50. Well, actually, by the time this goes out, I'll probably have a few more than that. But 50 is what made it into the little book. And that's what we're doing. And here's where the power of podcasting is, is kind of rendered, well, powerless. Because what am I going to do? Try to 
talk to you, try to explain to you what these illustrations are like. Like I'm going to convince you that they're funny. They're, they're, they're illustrations. You have to look at them. You have to read them. You have to sit with them. I can't explain it to you, but at least uh, one or three people have thought they were slightly humorous <laughs> over the last few months. So I would love for you to have that. And the only way to get that is either to jump on my Patreon and support me there or to be one of the first 100 who buys the Reconstructionist during launch week, which starts tomorrow. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Get out your calendar and your big red marker and circle it tomorrow. Set your alarms, do whatever you got to do to make sure you get in on this really fun thing that I'm doing. And I should say, when I say I don't draw very well, (laughs) first of all, I mean, that's an odd thing to say when you're trying to promote this illustration book. What I mean is, I don't draw freehand very well. So my process is, I usually get an idea, I grab some clip art, I print it off on my printer, then I scribble over it, and then I take a picture with my phone, then I throw it in an app, mess with it, then I shoot it over to my computer and Photoshop the crap out of it, and then do some more stuff to it. So it winds up being this digital manipulation stuff. Anyhow, I'm trying to explain a visual medium here in an audio medium. It doesn't make sense. Look, you're just going to have to trust me here. I'm hilarious. You're going to want to get the book, get both books starting tomorrow. Let's talk a little bit about the Reconstructionist. Um, And I'll set it up this way. So my life changed a few years ago. Um, I didn't ask for it. I wasn't seeking it. It just happened. And it was, well, I use a metaphor in the book like this, an existential earthquake that took place. Obviously, I'm not a geologist. I'm not a seismologist or anything. But here's what happens, I'm pretty sure at least, uh, when an earthquake takes place. Tectonic plates, way down, deep, they shift. And then energy is released into waves. They vibrate through the earth. They look to find the weakest points to shake out. And these weak points we often call fault lines. If you have an earthquake, the greatest damage will always be along certain fault lines. That's the way it always works. Like those are the spots that will predetermine where the epicenter will be. So that's my layman's understanding of an earthquake. Existentially, I had an earthquake. I don't think I'm the only one. Probably some of you have, and that's why you're listening. But when that happened in my life, stuff to move, stuff moved, yeah, like way down deep. And the waves of energy billowing out from that moment, as earthquakes do, found the fault lines and, well, just caused a whole lot of damage. And as best as I understand it, I cracked open in three theological fault lines. Now, the first opening went right through my approach to the Bible, its purpose, and how I interpreted what it was that I was reading. The second, it developed underneath my conception of sacrifice and mercy. And a third fissure ruined most, if not all, my thoughts about fear, punishment, and love. So, what I'm trying to do in the book is to invite readers to come with me to lift up the yellow caution tape to see some of the damage, but also, and here's the real point, to begin to see how I started reconstructing. In other words, it's not the deconstruction that I'm most interested in. What I'm most interested in is the reconstruction. 
Now, there are a lot of people in the midst of tearing things down, and I don't even blame them. If that's you, I think, yeah, you probably should tear some stuff down. I don't think you owe an apology to anyone. I think you probably should just name the injustice. However, just know that if you tear down too hard, too fast, with too much anger, it might do more damage than not. And again, I don't blame you if you do this because some of us have been hurt really, we've been hurt deeply by what's gone on in unhealthy theological religious settings. So just take this like with, um, I don't know, just take it like from an older brother or an older uncle or something that cares about you. Just know that um, someone that you know that loves you is telling you just to be cautious with all this tearing down stuff. For me, I definitely tore down some things. But personally, I couldn't just do it and leave it there. And I've thought a lot about that over the years. I I think it's possible, if I'm honest with myself, that because I was a pastor, I didn't feel like I could just let it all go away. And also because I had two boys that I felt responsible to. And so I don't apologize for that. I'm actually thankful for it. It kind of forced me to not just blow the stuff up but to look for ways to reconstruct. And as I was doing it, I realized slowly, little by little, that I was reconstructing right over these fault lines that I've already named. I mean, I hadn't named them at that point, but I've named them now, of course. And this is what you have to do. You have to build over the damaged fault lines Because those are the spots that are dangerous, that you could fall back into, that others could fall into. Those are the places where people are going to get hurt unless you rebuild something. And not just rebuild like the same old thing that you used to have, but to rebuild something stronger. Because it doesn't make sense to put the same old shabby theological crap over that giant gaping crevice. It's just not going to work. You need something stronger, something more flexible, expansive, gracious, resilient, uh, healthier is a word I use a lot, more sustainable. And so that's what I try to do. uh, And I think that is what I'm doing. I rebuilt. And it was only in these later stages that I realized these three main fissures about the Bible, about sacrifice and fear. And so I reconstructed on a better foundation and I call these three foundations and this is the essence of the book right here. People are greater than the text, sacrifice is greater than mercy and love is greater than fear. And what I began to notice was that every single one of my conversations I was having, both with others and the voices inside of my head, all of them revolved around one of those three things. So, for example, when someone would say something like, oh, your theology is too soft, you got to call out sin, I'd respond by saying, either out loud or in my mind as I processed it, I I would respond by saying, wait, I think people are greater than the text. And so this sin that you've figured out a sin and defined it by what you read in the text uh, is important but people are always more important than that. And then when someone would say something like, which I heard a lot, and I've heard a lot throughout my life, well, there's no forgiveness without bloodshed. I'd go, wait a minute. I think mercy is greater than sacrifice. And then when someone would say, what, you don't believe in hell? Because I heard a lot about hell. I'd think, 
you know, love is greater than fear. So you got to understand, like, this was one conversation after another with people in my family, long, long, long time friends, denominational leaders, fellow pastors or professors. I'd get these looks, these facial expressions, this body language, the angry emails, uh, the texts, the phone calls, the DMs, my personal favorite accompanied with lots of angry emoji faces. You know, because nothing expresses the beauty of love more than an angry Christian sending an angry emoji face. Yeah, so when I look back over, especially the last five, six years, almost going on seven years of my life, really, it's all it all feels like just one big blur, like one big collective conversation, one big pointing finger at me, all coming from the religious group. And all the while, like when I think about that, uh, I'm watching myself now looking backwards, reacting to it and whispering, no, 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 people and mercy and love, those things are all greater than rules, greater than sacrifice, greater than fear. And the irony of all this is that I think that that's what many of the biblical writers were wrestling with. And for sure, I think that that's what Jesus was wrestling with. So much to the chagrin of the antagonists in my life, I actually feel like I'm aligning myself with the Bible when I say these things. And I don't know how to say all this without coming across arrogant. So please forgive me if that's the case. But I genuinely think if every Christian in America pursued people, mercy, and love, that the world could possibly be changed overnight and be changed forever. It'd make our politics better, our ecological environment better, our churches better, our schools better, our general discourse better. It'd certainly make our Facebook posts better and help us with our insecurities. It'd give us space to breathe and to work on our anxieties. It'd help us work through our, like our scarcity mindset. It removed the sting of our fear of loss, of death, or of hell. It give us patience. I think about that a lot. Yeah, it give us patience to have interfaith dialogue and inner church dialogue. If we were to put people, mercy, and love first, we wouldn't scapegoat. We wouldn't live by the myth of redemptive violence or carry guns around with us, or post scathing attacks on our enemies. Our families and marriages would be better. Our entire lives would be better. Hmm. If we pursued people and mercy and love, it just might actually help us to be present to the living, breathing, present and available kingdom of God. Notice I didn't say if we could do those things, it would help usher in the kingdom because the kingdom is already here. And I'm just saying what Jesus said. We don't need to do anything to usher anything in. What we need to be is to be present to the reality of the kingdom that's already happening right here. If you choose to put people over text and mercy over sacrifice and love over fear, it would revolutionize the planet. And I'm just wondering for those of us going through deconstruction, do we really want to revolutionize or do we want to just like freaking tear everything down in sight? And again, I'm not saying you can't be angry. I'm, I'm asking questions of you and of myself, like where is that anger taking us? 
Anger is an amazing fuel. It'll get you somewhere new and important. But once you start to get there, you'll have to figure out a way to not let anger consume you. Side note, I'm not trying to say you ever uh, eventually, you know, you ever ultimately arrive at one spot. I think life is all about movement. And that anger helps us get to those next things. But there are seasons in life where we can kind of slow down and spread out camp. And I think love can help us do that. And so the question becomes for you and for me, do we want to revolutionize the planet for our kids, you know, for our nieces and nephews, for our younger generation, or do we want to just be mad? And I I think love could help us do this. So there are a lot of good books out there. Um, I'll probably wind up reading a lot of them. I'll probably wind wind up reading some bad ones too. But all that to say that that there's no way that my book is the end all be all. I I just, I know it's just the latest. Um, I remember reading Ernest Becker. I don't know if you're aware of his classic book. It's called The Denial of Death. And in one of the last lines of the book, he says that the most that any of us can do is to fashion something like an object or an idea or ourselves and just drop it into the confusion to make an offering, so to speak, to the life force. The Reconstructionist is just the latest fashioning of something to be dropped. I know there will be others. But if you've been a part of this journey or are interested in being a part of this journey, I think not only will you enjoy it, but that by purchasing it and hopefully leaving a review, you'll help create a little momentum for others to be influenced. Not to mention if you're part of the first 100, you get the extra book for free. The point is all of this could help propel the conversation forward and take this anger that so many of us have felt and the frustration and the hopelessness that so many have felt and to try to turn it into something. Because I think what's going on, and I don't have, I haven't done like official surveys on this. So a lot of this is anecdotal and my observation. But I think a lot of what's happening with folks is they've never been taught how to approach the Bible in a different way. They've never been taught how to approach religion or for that matter, their insecurities in a a different way. And so what I hope to do is to try to start to open doors to be able to do that and to recognize it's not all wrapped up in following the rules. It's not all wrapped up in sacrifice or in fear. This whole thing for me, reconstruction, has to do with human beings and mercy and love. So this would be a great way to support me, but also to support others. It's hopefully healthy theology that I really think could play a role in saving the world and you could benefit as well. I can't think of a better way if you just spend $3.99 or $12.99 or whatever the publisher price they're gonna put on it. So uh, I hope you'll join me with this. That's it. Thanks for participating with us today. Let's continue the dialogue. Uh, Subscribe here to this podcast. I'll be doing some more in 2022. I don't know what the next season will be about. Um, I've got some ideas, but we'll see how that plays out. Make sure you sign up for the JF newsletter on my website. And whatever else you do tomorrow, pick up a copy of The Reconstructionist. Peace, everyone. Peace.